lead from from having fun um, because it's so it's so easy to forget that like what we're doing should be fun. Hi, it's Holly Ransom here. Welcome one and all to Coffee Pods, Fuel Your Difference, a podcast for the change makers and the game changers. This podcast is built around a simple hypothesis. How long does it take to learn from someone's lifetime of experience? Coffee. So in the time it takes us to share a cup of coffee with our guests or for you to enjoy one as you listen along, we're going to tap into the lifetime of experience of some truly remarkable people who've driven significant change. I'm a big believer that success leaves clues. And be it putting an audacious idea into action, shifting a team culture, or even a country's for that matter, or using their influence to drive progress, all our guests have powerful insights, pragmatic tips, and passionate calls to action that can help each of us to fuel the positive difference we're all working to create in our lives, organizations, and communities. Well, Coffee Potters, I'm thrilled to introduce you to this week's guest, Alex Bodman. He's an Aussie living in New York, and he has the incredibly impressive title of being the Global Executive Creative Director at Spotify. Now, Spotify is a pretty extraordinary company when you look at how quickly it's growing. Uh, Nowadays, it has about 150 million users on the music streaming platform, and Alex is in charge of developing the toolkits for the brand globally, allowing the vision of Spotify to scale across the globe. Since he joined the company in 2015, he's built an in-house creative team of over 30 people, recognized by Ad Age A-List in 2018 as the in-house creative agency of the year. He's got a really interesting background throughout advertising uh, and a number of uh, creative agency roles. What we're talking about today is really around the change in the way that we communicate and market. How's that shifted and what does that mean we need to be aware of as leaders and as influencers trying to reach audiences with our own message? How is it that we can be mindful of managing our own energy and what does it take to be able to foster creativity both in ourselves and in the teams of people we lead? I think you'll really enjoy the conversation. Here's Alex. Alex Bodman, I'm so thrilled to have you joining us on Coffee Pods. Thank you so much for making the time. Oh, pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Now, it's pretty exciting to be talking to an Aussie who is the first global creative director for Spotify. That's an exciting role in a company that is uh, certainly one of the the talks of sort of the world at the moment. I mean, it's rare to meet someone that doesn't have Spotify account on their phone and isn't listening to music via the Spotify platform. How did you end up all the way in New York in that sort of role? I suppose that's a long story. <laughs> I don't know how, how, much, how much detail to get into. Um, I think um, I... I like I often talk about my career as kind of like a lot of dumb luck and and stumbling into whatever is is new and not even knowing that I'm I'm doing that. I have a little theory as to why that is. Um like so, you know, I I should probably start right at the beginning which is like, you know, maybe 12 years ago when I just started working generally in the advertising and marketing space or the the communication space. And, you know, I went to art school, I was working in arts administration, I I'd, I'd, um, was trying to figure out a way to like maybe make money from writing or, or to do something and figured that, you know, I'd heard about this sort of advertising thing and, and that seemed sort of interesting. And then I had one friend who was working at Ogilvy in Sydney and they were like, oh, actually this writer just quit and you should, you should come in for an, an interview. And I would basically, long story short, uh, landed in what was the digital department or, you know, digital advertising or digital marketing department of Ogilvy, which at that stage was less than 20 people. 
They were in the you know worst location in the office. The uh, the people who did direct mail looked down on us. It was not you know it was the least glamorous. I felt like the luckiest. Oh, how person times have changed. Yeah, it was very funny, and I you know I felt like the luckiest person in the world. You know, and I was like, okay, I've got this foot in the door, and my God, look, I've got this like you know job. But you know, it was it was not uh, the glamorous part of the agency to be in, and it, it took me a few months to realize that actually it was definitely the future, and that things were shifting quickly, and that it was it was super interesting um and once i sort of realized that that was very motivating and you know of course by the time you know a year and a half later the department had, had nearly tripled and and suddenly you know we had a, a fancy part in the office and and we were being trotted out in front of every client and all of this was going on and then you know i, I could have rode that wave uh but then i got this uh, i saw this bizarre email that the only um multinational agency in cambodia was looking for a English copywriter to come and work in Cambodia. And I I'd, uh, backpacked there when I was like 18. I had I always had this weird idea when I backpacked there, I was going to live there. I was new to my career and I thought, oh, maybe I'm getting too corporate. I need to do something else. And I kind of went for this job and I went for it really hard. And I was like, oh, you, you've got to hire me. And, you know, I agreed to these crazy conditions. And I said, I'd move there in four weeks and, and terrible wow. pay. And I was just, I've got to, yeah, I've got, I've got to get this job. I just had this feeling I had to do it. And of course, I showed up and I found out I was like the only decent applicant. <laughs> like it wasn't competitive at all. Like no one, no one was dying to move to Cambodia but me. So, but then it was fascinating because I was kind of like in this whole other world. Billboards were viable media. You made TV commercials for 40 grand. And, and it was, you know, in many ways the hardest job I've, I've ever had because you had multinational clients with, with high expectations. And then you were working with um, and within a sort of local talent pool that were that was recovering from you know pretty much as as bad a situation as a country could recover from, mm. um, and and we're really starting from scratch. And so that that was a really eye opening you know two years and and uh, and learnt an entirely different set of skills, and then realised I had to get back to Sydney because while I was there, things like. Facebook had happened and, and suddenly people were on this thing called Facebook and I realized, okay, I've got to sharpen up. So I, was, I, I went back to Sydney, worked at a digital learning agency called Soap and became their first writer. And um, that was another one which, which didn't necessarily make sense. No one knew why they had a writer. They were known more for digital production. And then this funny thing happened where like, I didn't have enough work basically. And I thought, oh, they're going to sack me. And you know, the financial crisis had happened. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I'll, I'll figure out what's going to happen. And they said, oh, you know, there's this thing brands want to be on, on, Facebook and we're setting up these pages and uh, we want you to, to run them. And, uh, you know, that was before there was such a thing as social media manager. They just figured the writer should do it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, how crazy. That's, that's, that sounds great. And so I, I jumped in and half of my job ended up being just engaging directly with, with, with folk on Facebook in the early days, setting up pages for things like Bubble Bill and Bushels Tea and, and everything else. And I had no idea. Like I was, I was being a social media manager before. That was a, a huge profession and, and workforce. And so again, it's like stumbling into <laughs> into whatever's new, you know. You know, from there, long long story short, sort of uh, decided it was more writing and, and creativity that that really drove me as fascinating and career informing as that was, and had the opportunity to jump to New York and worked for a, a good five or six years at a at a shop called Razorfish that was trying to make a shift from being more of a, a platform tech web company. Uh, to doing uh, communications and and being sort of like a, you know a creative partner to, to major brands like Unilever and Mercedes Benz and I brought my experience to that and built out a team of about uh, fifteen to twenty people um, working you know purely on the the creative side mostly from a digital and and social angle and it was at that time about 
five years in, I was, I was leading a lot of work for Mercedes-Benz. I'd done a ton of work on Unilever that we got the opportunity to pitch for Spotify. And um, uh-huh. luckily won, won, that, won that pitch. And yeah, start, just started working on, on the business. And, um, you know, when you're, when you're passionate about a, a brand and creative opportunities, it, it comes through. And, and at that time, the company was, you know, Spotify was growing greatly, but it, it was a younger company and, and I had exposure to pretty much everyone across marketing got to know my, my, my current boss and the CMO. And then it was, again, about stumbling into what, whatever's new because at, at that stage, you know, Spotify's marketing department was, was still in the process of, of growing up and, and fully formalizing. And, and uh, they sort of said to me, look, we've got this internal studio of, of creatives. You know, they've, they've got talent and, and everything else, but, but right now they seem underutilized and we'd like to do different things at Spotify. And we'd like to bring in a, a seasoned creative director to really build out an internal creative force and have a... Um, a capability, you know, that's that's world class in house, basically, and also somebody to help us guide generally the brand and and how we work with agencies and and how the communication comes out, and and so again, it's sort of like that that trigger of mine, which is oh, this sounds like new, this sounds like potential failure, uh, <laughs> you know. Well, you know, really, it did because you know, the, if 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 I was a betting person, even on myself, I would have gone, you know, in house is hard, you know, Spotify is still growing up. This this is this would be a high pressure role. We haven't figured out the brand yet. There's a lot that could go wrong, but you know, like how much am I going to learn? Like, you know, like, you know, even, even from, from every mistake or, or screw up, like just, just how much will, would I learn from this role and, and how many stories would I have no matter, <laughs> no matter what happens. And so it, yeah, in the end, even, even though there was a little bit of a, a to and fro in my mind, it was um, inst- instinctually, it was, it was the yes. And so that was, that was coming on three years ago that I, I jumped into that role. So as it's somewhat long-winded, but I feel like it's hard to like give yeah, a, no, you need that context. a short answer to that question. And I like this continual theme that kind of bubbles underneath around all oh, that looks new, all oh, there's potentially failure here. This is a risk. You know, I'm yeah. going to jump in with two feet and see what I can make of this. That relationship with taking, because, you know, oftentimes, and, and you know, this is an Aussie yourself, we talk about um, how we're, we're often quite a risk-averse country. You know, that that's maybe generalizing yeah. a little bit. But where does that spirit in you come from? Was that role model to you by your parents? How did you, you know, kind of develop yeah. that quality in yourself? Yeah, I, I haven't, I haven't thought about it too much, but it's so true about, uh, you know, every there's so many Australians in in New York now, which is 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 super cool and and really funny. You know, we're, we're not exotic anymore. We're just like part of the fabric <laughs> of this like city of immigrants. And but it's true, like if you talk and and particularly if you know the Australians who came sort of closer to a decade ago or five years ago nearly everyone I've talked to kind of like thinks they're like going to fail for sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, cause it's such a, it can be an intimidating city. You think it's going to be really cutthroat. And, and I for sure thought like moving over here that, you know, after a few meetings, they'd be like, Oh, sorry, we've realized, you know, this was a terrible mistake. And we can go home now. <laughs> Catch you later. <laughs> Next so, home. You know, yeah, 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 exactly. You have to be, uh, <laughs> I, I sort of felt I had to be ready for that. Um, no, I, I would absolutely attribute that to, you know, probably, um, behavior um modeled by my mum primarily uh, grew up with a, a, a single mum my dad was in my life but I grew up with a single mum who was naturally very uh entrepreneurial was an entrepreneur jumped between different careers and was um yeah has lived her life in a, a remarkably fearless way so I think that um subconsciously I, you know I, I don't think consciously I sort of watched that and thought I want to do that I'm, I'm a much more risk averse person than she is but I, I think I, I def- definitely some behavior modeled there yeah, absolutely. What a powerful role model to have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it can't help but sort of 
impact you somehow if, if you've sort of seen that growing up? And the other thing I was thinking about is just your preparedness to jump into new areas where you were kind of throwing yourself in the deep end of things you didn't necessarily know at the time, but you backed yourself to learn how to, how to understand and be able to work with. And I think that's interesting given kind of the state of the world we're looking at right now, because I think a, a lot of us find that quite intimidating going, geez, you know, the, the way we're communicating, the social media platforms, the, the, the methods with which we've got to advertise and market, they're shifting so quickly. What have you learned in terms of how to, to best land on the ground in something new and get up to speed quickly? Have you got any advice around that? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I, I talk a lot about, um, and it's not new advice, but I think sometimes when I see or mentor people going into their career or moving through their career, people with a lot of potential, they, um, they struggle with it, which is just being like a relentless optimist about whatever the opportunity in front of you is. And, and that feels kind of glib. It's like, you know, just think it's great or, or anything like that, but it's actually hugely important because there's, you have like two parts when any new thing comes. So, you know, I, I told that story earlier about how I was at an agency in Sydney and they're like, Oh, guess what? There's this, there's these Facebook pages for you to manage and, and brands are doing Facebook. And, you know, there's, there's a, it very easily that could have looked like a demotion or like I came to be a writer and now I'm, you know, doing this thing on social media and, and I'm, you know, sending reports and I'm, you know, figuring out engagement levels and, you know, it, it could have in, instead I, I found it and it wasn't a conscious choice, but I, I just found it thrilling, which is I'm going to learn all about this and this could be a new way of communicating. And my curiosity just took over and, and it was instantly exciting. And I still remember that meeting where they were sort of telling me about it. And I was like, just all excited. And I was like, Oh, okay, crowd fantastic. And blah, blah, blah. And, and I could see the surprise on the person's face who was telling me that this was part of my new role because <laughs> <laughs> they didn't think I was going to like it at all. And they were just really relieved. They're like, Oh, really? <laughs> and, and that was just my natural instinct. And, um, and I don't care who, who you look at, you know, um, people who've had like the, the phenomenal sort of star careers, we all aspire to, it's not all rosy and, and they've been through like super tough patches where they've had to deal with a, a bad new boss or a crazy new client or a shift in a business that's, that's potentially existential. But if, if you approach it through what you're going to learn from that and through, you know, your ability to display tenacity, et cetera, maybe not invariably, but I think most of the time you're, that, that will be the result that you get. And, you know, here in New York, people can be very privileged. There's, you know, some of the top agencies in the world, there's, there's, there's top companies and firms, there, there are paths to start working at them very early in your career and, and, and start uh, from a point of, of somewhat privilege very early and, and great. I mean, that's, that's terrific if, if you can do it, but I can only teach from, from my own sort of background or advise people from my own background and that's kind of like embrace the shitty jobs I always tell people like because no one's paying attention like no if it's the unglamorous role where it seems like there's limited potential um you know if you're if you're in the department of 20 that everyone's looking down on then like you've got free reign you know you you really do you can sort of make your own impression and make change and all you're going to do is surprise people. And, and if it doesn't work, then no one's going to be, <laughs> it's not going to be a black mark against you. <laughs> I love that. Man. That's a totally different way of looking at things. That's awesome. <laughs> so that's, well, that's my crazy optimism, which people always comment on, which is, <laughs> um, but you know, if you, if, if you take that attitude and then, and then it works out enough times and people stop thinking it's crazy. <laughs> and I want to touch on that optimism piece because, you know, one of the things I think next to actors, I think people who are in the creative world, like yourself, who are pitching for work, living and dying by their latest creative idea. 
it's probably the industry, as I said, next to acting, that whether you, you face the most rejection or the most yeah. constructive feedback, depending on how nice we want to be in the language around it, right? <laughs> so how you, you mentioned... Exactly, right? You mentioned tenacity <laughs> earlier and, and this optimism you've got. How, how have you supported yourself to be able to just continue to have that optimism in what is a very competitive um, and sometimes quite, can be quite toxic industry at times? Yeah, it's it's it, it's an industry that can be incredibly damaging to people. And I um I remember when I uh in in my twenties when I got into it, and and then when I had the opportunity to to get other friends of mine into it, um, which I absolutely did. You know, like I was like, oh, this this thing seems really good. You're a talented writer. You should try it. And you know, and and a few uh you know a few did, and um all of them have gone on to successful careers elsewhere because they're like, nope not for me, like, you know, that, you know, mm. it was, um, and, and so they've found other paths and, and done great in that, but you know, there, it was an experience, but it was one that, that burnt them out fairly quickly. And, and then there's other people who, who don't necessarily have that experience, but I see go through so much stress and strain and, um, uh, discomfort or, yeah, like, yeah, but all of that, because it's, uh, you can personalize your work. You can get very, very passionate about it. Um, there's a natural attrition rate. And um, I think the people who who are able to make old bones in the industry that I've observed, you know, that are, are still sort of making interesting work and, and positive contributions into, let's face it, in, in our industry, God, late forties is senior, which is terrifying. But you know, like you know, people who who manage to do that and build lifelong careers, they seem to have built um, a very careful balance of like zen and not personalizing the. Um, the work too much you know there's the work and then there's them you know it's not a reflection on them and and you know they just know that that not everything's going to work out not everything will be loved but still they've managed to hold on to a passion to push and to advocate and to because if you lose that fire then you're also you're also kind of pointless because you're not going to convince other people you know you're not going to like make that last fight that actually makes a project happen mm. or you know convinces people that this is the right idea for for a piece of communication for a brand so it, it's holding that balance um that that i've observed and so I'm, I'm always trying to do that um from watching people like that in my career and as as i guide my team i i tend to hire people who i observe know how to sleep at night even if if it didn't go their way or, or, or people didn't like their idea just because that's easier so it's it's easier for me um but also i take my role as, as like a leader of a team to know when to kind of like say let it go and and when to show people that i'll fight or like mm-hmm. continue to push because if they don't feel you're going to do that, then it, they sort of, they, they don't, they don't see enough passion and it's um, so it's navigating that balance. And I think that's why the industry can be really tricky for people. The other thing was, you know, having a creative director in your title, that expectation to continually be creative. I, I, um, I imagine that something, particularly with the volume that you've got to do it on, you know, that expectation daily that you're executing these brilliant creative campaigns right around the world with your global hat on. Um, how do you nourish your own creativity? Where do you turn for inspiration? How do you kind of fuel that in yourself? Yeah, it, that's a it's it's a really interesting question, and there's there's no single answer to it. I mean, number one is uh, as a creative director, you get the chance to build a team, and the, the the team you build is so important because it's not just because you'll be sort of you know judging their work or developing their work or feeding back on their work, but for me, it's important because they they should be inspiring you and, and you, there, there should be a sort of mutual energy that you get from working with them. And, you know, the, there's a reason why I'm um, 
so many creative directors, not enough, but so many creative directors are getting more and more obsessed with diversity as well. But it just means people with such different viewpoints, you know, and, and that, of course, that comes from, from gender and background, but it, it, you know, it also just comes from sensibility. And so, and all of those things are important, but the, the more, more diverse your team of viewpoints and, and different types of ways of going about things, um, you're going to get to bounce off. So, so one thing is about collaborators. Um, another thing I think, and this is a, a new viewpoint, but, um, you know, about three years ago, I, I sort of did move within a brand from, from an agency world. And what I've been able to do with the support of a company that's very much about that is enforce a very different way of working. Um, you know, if you're, if you're used to working in New York agencies, you're used to 12-hour days, you're used to weekends being a luxury, um, but hmm. very often optional. You're, you're sort of used to a, a grind that I think for a period can be if you can run on that adrenaline, um, it, it can be, you know, innovating and motivating and rewarding when it works, when a project works out, etc. But, um, you know, essentially what the industry is doing right now is taking a bunch of, of very talented driven people in, in their 20s and early 30s and, and locking them in, a, in an environment just based on, <laughs> based on this, this incredible grind and, and, uh, and pressure cooker. And I, I, I can't help but think that that's counterintuitive long-term to their, their creative growth. And so, you know, the environment I foster now is, you know, everyone is, is working very hard. Everyone's very professional. I've hired people from that world that have that sort of um, drive and, and know about delivering. But, you know, I model the behavior where if it's, if it's 5.30, I'm leaving the office because I need to be home for my kid's bedtime. And yeah, sure, if, if I need to, I'll jump online later and, and tidy up a few things. But you know, my expectation is that, that we should have our work, you know, pretty much done by then. And, and the only time we're working weekends or nights is if it's, you know, if we're in production and it's necessary. And, and to me, that means that my team, if, if they're doing that, then they, they're at a gallery opening or they're talking to friends and having interesting conversations or they're seeing a movie or they're, they're doing what, what really the non-creative normal people would just do in their life that keeps them nourished and, and interested and, and connected to culture. So, you know, it's when I talk now about the work-life balance, I try to um, offer to my team. I don't see that as like the right thing to do because it's nice for them. When advertising falls into 60 or 70 hour weeks or any industry falls, any creative industry falls into 60 or 70 hour weeks and you get like a bit of an echo chamber um, without the right, the right inputs. So yeah, that's, that's my, my, my viewpoint has shifted a little bit um, in, in terms of the best way to, to nourish that creativity. One of the other things I wanted to ask you about is you've been involved in such an interesting time in your industry where so much has changed so significantly in terms of the where the advertising dollars go, the, the platforms on which people are communicating, um, how internationally connected even we are as a global community. Um, if you were to kind of summarise the, the most significant trends that you have seen kind of communication and and community and advertising go on over the years that you've been involved in the industry. What would be the two or three that you'd call out? Yeah, it's it's a great question because as I as I said, I've sort of stumbled um, unknowingly often into like whatever's next, whether it's social or digital or having having stumbled that way through my career. I have been at a lot of those type of junctions, and the the interesting thing is like you know once you start doing that prediction like what's next thing used to be really really popular like you know like um clients would you know actually pay you a lot to come in and say these are the trends we're going to see you know two or three years from now and you'd have to come up with them or you know interviewers would want to know like what's your prediction for next year's what's the next big thing 
I, I decided very quickly to, um, well, no, about midway through my career, I decided to, to stop answering that question because I realized that no one has any bloody idea, you know, like it's, it's the change is so constant now. And it's like, you know, it's uh, and not that we don't need those people future casting. I'm, I'm not trying to disparage that industry because like, obviously it's great to have smart people, but I'm not, I'm not one of those people. Like what I love is that I have no idea. Like, you know, I didn't know a year before that Facebook was coming and suddenly everyone was going to be living on. So, you know, I, I you know, I, I didn't know that smartphones were coming and, and suddenly everything would change there equipped to that I, I like reacting and adapting and and going oh god there's this thing called instagram what could we do with that you know um and so you know that that's kept me super motivated the the constant change is is something i'm very attracted to but if i look back there there was certain um, one of the reasons i don't like the future casting is is you also don't know how it's going to go so you know i spent a lot of my career uh living in digital and if i think about probably the number one media that i'm creating for right now it's out of home and billboards, which is is super weird um, when you think about it, um, because that's not where, where my career might have led me. But it actually makes sense if you look at we're at a place now where people are you know second screening, where people are skipping ads, where basically you can opt out of most of the old interruptive advertising formats. You know, one of the few things that you can't really opt out of is a, a, a billboard or an out of home placement, so that's guaranteed to be seen. And then the thing that we've learned as Spotify, that if you're sort of a, a cool brand that people want to engage with and, and you're willing to use billboards in a provocative or interesting or, you know, out of home in a, in a way that's memorable or eye-catching that, that people might even pick up their phone and take a photo of it and share it. So it can actually become like a social media. Um, you know, if, if we uh, take out a, a, a billboard and do a cool use of an artist, the chances are that they'll, they'll take a photo of themselves in front of it. You know, there's over a million likes, but from the fans, we're so excited to see them up there. And so, you know, it, it's very hard to predict the way that media will go. But um, if I, you know, I, I think it's, it's hardly making a profound statement to say that the, the most fundamental shift has been the, the smartphone for so many reasons, just because basically people have a media channel with them all the time. They've now become creators because they've got a camera. They're constantly engaging in social, you know, th- through that phone and, and then sharing. So I think, you know, I could talk about a ton of things, you know, social, but, but, you know, I would say that the thing that has been the biggest shift has been, has been that. Yep, completely. I wanted to ask you with your global hat on, um, tell us about communicating internationally. How much, how, how different is it from country to country? What, what do you do when it comes to arming yourself with insight? in order to ground campaigns in a way that's going to resonate in the different markets that you're talking to? Yeah, it's, it's such a good question because I've, I've always been a little bit uh, provocative or pointed or specific with the type of communications I put out and, and have a personality to them. You know, it's so fun being a creative in Australia because I knew I was talking to Australians and you can make that in-joke or that, that sort of humor and, you know, it's just going to land because you know, you know who your audience is and, and they're you. And then the thought of like, you know, how, how do you be this global brand and then maintain that because you know what's what's funny what, what's funny here may work in a few other countries but maybe not for everyone or you know like that specific reference just may make no sense so we're a little bit blessed in that we get to talk about music and culture like that's kind of our, our authentic role and so the way we do it is that we we create global campaigns or construct we create sort of what the the core idea is and, and what the general approach and tone is and then we build out say the campaign for the us and the uk or whatever using artists and song references and things that we know are going to land. We basically do is apply that toolkit to markets everywhere from Brazil, indeed to Australia, you know, over to Asia and, and Europe. And then they work with sort of uh, nimble local creative partners just to localize it using like local references and using local artists and using 
So it feels still hyper, uh, like it's got a lot of personality. It feels still hyper specific. You know, one of the things we're big on is just being a fellow fan. You know, we like, we like the idea of the quote unquote in joke or reference where like you get it if you know that artist and if you don't, whatever, you know, that's, that's, that's fine. And so we sort of provide more of a toolkit in a frame and, um, and then allow the local market to then add in that artist so that, you know, in Australia, they can make a Tame Impala reference or they can be talking about, you know, um, whoever that artist is now that sort of makes sense for the local market, but that, they've, you know, a lot of the thinking's already been figured out for them and there's that global consistency at the same time. What bits of advice or, you know, you talked on and touched on mentors earlier, what nuggets of wisdom from those significant figures in your life have been really pivotal to you in leading your teams, in, in navigating the choices that you've made over the course of your career? What stands out? Yeah, I, it's funny because I think in my um, my career, I've never had um, people who've given me like sound bites that I can walk away with, or things that I like, you know, particular knowledge that I can uh, repeat back to others. But from from everyone, you know, who I've I've sort of worked under or, or you know taken direction from or seen lead and 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 observed it, you know, I've I've been a sponge and and figured out like what I love about what they do and and also like. A bad boss. I've I've been lucky. I haven't I haven't had a ton or you know any any particular one. But they, when when you do, you will always have difficult leaders through your career, and they can be fantastic because you, you know, they're a leader for a reason. So you're going to learn some really good stuff from them. And so like just tough it out and, and just tough it out and 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 you know it's natural to be you know annoyed or, or resentful at times. But try not to focus on that and try to focus on on what you're learning from from potential shortcomings. But I've been fortunate enough to to sit next to a leader who's who's been a creative leader at the same time as like actually owning their agency and having a financial stake in every, you know, in client, you know, cause it can be a little bit abstract when you work in an agency, you know, um, accounts come and go, et cetera. But, you know, for them, there was, there was a financial stake in, in every relationship and watching them navigate that um, on a daily basis while I went about sort of much less important work um, was fascinating and, and taught me a lot about um, the right level of maturity and then watching the right kind of, um, pragmatic leaders who just knew how to prioritize um, and then learning how they went about prioritizing and, and figuring out like when the fight was worth it and when to let something go. Because we talked earlier about burnout and the, the challenge that um, young creatives or, you know, actually creatives of all age, to be honest, um, can have in an industry like this work not landing or feeling like they can't get there. And, um, you know, that prioritization and, and realizing when, when it's really not worth losing sleep over or whatever is something I've learned a lot. I, I didn't hear it from a mentor. I don't, I don't know where I read it, but I held on to it and it's still a, a daily guide. And that's like, if you're eating a shit sandwich, you don't want to nibble. You know, like there's a lot of, you can, you can, like, you can like, I have never heard know, that, but that's a ripper. You're around complaining and you can like fight and you can like whatever, but like occasionally like, you know, we're in, in life, in our career and whatever, like you're eating a shit sandwich and like, you know, just just get it over with, you know, <laughs> like move on. So funny. <laughs> I love that. Rather than um, actually giving advice, I try to model it as much as possible, which is just lead from, from having fun, going in and, and making a point of enjoying your, your work day and, and focusing on that is such an important thing. And uh, so I, I tend to hire for people who I think will, you know, will, will embrace that or have that potential and then I, I try to create that environment. I, I'm not a big believer that putting people under a lot of pressure gets the best results. I, I tend to want to, if I'm mentoring somebody or if I'm leading somebody, I almost want to put a safety net underneath them and make them believe that no matter what, we're going to get to a good result. 
and that they should almost take crazy leaps um, and rather than making them feel like you better not slip up because I think that's how you make people think in a timid way or how you, you make people operate out of fear and how you create kind of the wrong environment. So, you know, at any given time, I might have, you know, four or five different creative teams working on a, a bunch of briefs that, that on the face of them could look tricky or hairy or, you know, feel like high pressure. And instead, I, I sort of act from the assumption that, that no matter what, you know, we'll get there. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're going to get a good result. And instead, that they should just go for it. They just they take the jump. And if they, if they fall, the worst thing is they land in the net um, and we'll, we'll figure it out another way. Um, so that's, that tends to be how I try to, how I try to mo- motivate people. And I think I, I, I talk more about modeling behavior or creating environments because I think it's hard to have like a certain set of advice for any one person that you're mentoring because every single creative person is, is different and will have their own um, huge superpowers and they'll have their own sort of like, they'll have their own kryptonites or things that they need to work on. And so my advice is very personalized uh, and that's why I don't have like a set one set you know, mm-hmm. a piece of wisdom like apart that. from the shit sandwich, maybe, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, it's kind of like, you know, but the advice I have to give one creative will be very different to the advice I have to give another creative. But I think the environment and the way of working that I create for all of them is hopefully. And I wanted to speak, you touched on two really interesting parts of a question I wanted to ask you, which was really around how the environment of top top places to work is changing. Like you would have more resumes probably coming through your inbox every week than most people could fathom. Um, because you're a very desirable company to work. You'd have a lot of the top talent in your industry coming and knocking on the door saying, you know, please, sir, can I have a job? What is it that you're hiring for? You've touched on that capacity to have fun. You've touched on that ability to be resilient. I'd be interested to know what else you're looking for in candidates. How do people differentiate themselves in this really competitive time that we're in? But also, what do you find that top talent's looking for? What are they expecting of how Spotify works and the culture of the workplace? that you need to make sure to your point that you're modeling from a behavior standpoint so that you're getting and keeping the top talent? I think the answer goes a little bit back to what I said before, um, where I was kind of saying that all creatives uh, are, are different uh, or should be different. And I think that the, the, the one you know, talent is, is number one, obviously. I'm always um, interested in a creative whose who's portfolio is, is strong and, and you know the talent is clear, but they maybe haven't had their um, their big super hit yet. They maybe haven't had like their, cause you know, like in, in, in the industry that, you know, you kind of aim to have that, like that huge campaign or that big thing that everyone knows that, that wins all the awards and it sort of supercharges your career and everything. And, and um, I fully expect that everyone I hire will, will have one of those and, and a lot have since I've hired them, which I'm really thrilled about, but I'm, I'm often interested when the promise is there and they, they haven't quite had that one yet. Cause I think that there's a certain hunger and humbleness that's, that's still there, mm-hmm. which is not to say that I don't hire people who, already had their mega hit I, some creators directors only are looking for that person who's had the hit and i'm kind of like well they've had it now you know like, you know like you know I, i'm kind of interested in mentoring the one who's like who's got everything it takes and just haven't had the chance yet you know it hasn't all fallen into place so that's one that's one area where i'm a little bit uh i'm a little bit different to how to look at it and then for me it's also like well who have you already got in your team so you know at the you know once you've started to build a team it's then about like what am not what am I missing, but what could I add? So if you know if I've built a team where there are certain people who are really strong at, at this and they're super funny or whatever, um, and this, 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 they're, they're, these people who are super connected to culture or whatever, like 
you know, what am I missing uh, either from like a cultural difference? And that's when the casting gets really interesting and when you can be very um, pointed in, in who you would hire next because, you know, right now if I have like one open role and I can add one person to my creative mix and, and so then I'm actually looking for like somebody who can be like culturally additive and, and provide a, a difference. Um, in terms of like the, the, the flip side to your question, which is that how do you keep someone um, motivated in an environment that once you've hired that top talent, how do you keep them? Because they've got plenty of options right there. Um, I think that um, my job is is fairly easy right now in that, that because the thing that motivates um, creative people the most is is making uh, making work and producing and creating. You know, they're creative people and they want to create. And once you come to New York and work here, you, you get trained straight away that maybe you'll make a couple of things a year. And that's a really good strike rate. If you've made a couple of things a year, that's really good because about six months is like selling, presenting, and then, you know, and every now and then, and it's not that uncommon, you'll spend that six months and then the thing never gets made anyway or, or, or never sort of goes out into the world. And the, the sort of the speed at which um, Spotify executes and the fact that we're, you know, producing literally over 100 uh, brand campaigns, campaigns, you know, talking to different parts of the culture, whether that be Latin listeners or, or hip hop, uh, you know, fans, et cetera there's there's just uh, so much work that actually needs to be made and, and a company that's excited to execute quickly and, and an industry like the music industry that only only knows about moving quickly and, and getting sort of work in, uh, out into the world and into culture. Um, it means that people are just constantly um, creating this. There's no such thing as a dry spell for, for anyone on my team. And if you're at an agency or in a creative shop and you're not making stuff, then the coffee always tastes bad. They just find problems everywhere. Like, you know, the furniture's shitty and, oh my God, that, you know, that, that person over there is so difficult and, oh, did, you know, this, and, and, and that's when everything starts to fall apart and like, you know, why, is, why does the coffee taste so bad, et cetera. And like when people are making, they're doing what they, they got into the industry to do. So I think that's, that's a major motivator. And then I'm, I'm fortunate to work at a company that has had to, um, has had to just make that part of their business model um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, their values, they're a Swedish company. They believe in six months maternity and paternity leave. They believe in work-life balance. They believe in four weeks leave, which I know in Australia feels short, but in America is a luxury. They believe in those things. But secondly, like they're hiring tech and tech people right now can, can move companies on a dime and, and have, have large expectations. So, you know, that they, they expect lunch provided. They they you know expect motivating offsites and professional development. As such, I'm I'm also lucky enough to to bring people into that environment where the larger company does a lot of my job for me. Hmm. Good point. I like that. Now, Alex, I'm so grateful for your time. I'm conscious that we have a New York day to get you off to after you've had that cup of coffee. Um, so I would just have. One more <laughs> oh, it's been such a pleasure to start my day over a coffee and a chat, a chat to another Aussie. I know. <laughs> course, it's been brilliant. I wanted to ask you, uh, one of the big things we're big on at Coffee Pods is um, people taking away the the insight and inspiration, but turning it into action, going and doing something with it. And we always ask uh, our guests, if you could leave our listeners with a call to action, what would you like to encourage them to go out and do? Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> you could have won. It's funny because in, um, in my daily job, I'm, I'm literally have to, I literally have to make sure that most of our communications finish with a call to action. And I didn't even think about one for this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I back you to be able to do this on your feet then. <laughs> um, let me see. Um, if I just, I, I'm trying to think back through the themes of, of like what we've touched on and, and the stuff we've talked about. And we were talking earlier through like themes of, of sort of like fun and optimism and stuff that I feel like really as an Australian kind of like 
gives me the the chills because it can feel like a little bit too too glib. I suppose that I think that the call to action I would I would ask people looking for advice or who've worked for me before is like the the next time that uh, professionally um, some, something takes a, a shitty turn or something looks like um, a potential demotion, just almost like lie to yourself and convince yourself that it's a a, a fun opportunity. Um, or a chance to to display qualities, or or even potentially to make a, a career turn that could be advantageous. But e- even though you feel like you're lying to yourself and approach it that way, and just see if it works. And and like when I've when I've asked people to do that, um, who've worked for me and are unhappy with something I've asked them to do or that they're having to do, I've just asked them to like like do that kind of mind trick on themselves, and um, it works. So I suppose that would be my call to action. And then you can. You can find me online and tell me if it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> well, Alex, what a hilarious note to end on. Thank you so much for making yourself available and for sharing so generously. And I, I look forward to continuing to follow your stellar career um, at Spotify and, and in the many ways that I know oh, you contribute to the world. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. I hope you feel inspired and have some practical ideas for how you can go and fuel the difference you want to see in your life organization or community if that's a yes please take a moment to send us feedback shoot me a tweet at holly ransom leave a review for this coffee pod or head to www.coffeepodswithholly.com and send in your questions and suggestions for future coffee pods but for now until our next coffee break i've been holly ransom thanks for fueling your difference with me